Good morning, ladies. It would be lovely to be with you today, but the Lord knows that we are each doing whatever he has for us. My name is Mimi Birch, and this is the second time that I have the opportunity to lecture here at Habits of the Heart. I am very humbled by the many women that I think of who have poured into my life, who have taught me God's word, who have taught me about God, about myself, and how to live rightly. I'm really grateful for each of you and for this community at Habits. I'm also excited for the opportunity to share with you a little of what God has been teaching me in his word. The last two lessons have been really heavy as sin has entered into our story in an unmistakable way. I've been disappointed, frustrated, heartbroken, and even angry with David at his action and his inactions. This is the proper response to sin, and it's become abundantly clear that David is not the savior of the world. He is not the promised seed of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. David can't save anyone. David can't even save himself. He knows that salvation belongs to the Lord. For it is God who chose David, God who anointed him as king over his people, was God that placed his spirit upon him and didn't depart. In the midst of sin, God didn't leave David. He met him with rebuke, discipline, repentance, and steadfast love. This is good news for us today. For ladies, if you know Jesus, if you have faith in him, God has placed his spirit upon you and he will not depart from you. In the midst of sin, he will meet you with rebuke, discipline, repentance, and steadfast love. This salvation work is his from beginning all the way to the end. He is the one who calls. He is faithful, and he will surely do it. Let's go to this great God in prayer. Dear Lord, this morning is so different than we expected it to be, but it is no surprise to you. And so I just pray, this is your word, that you would use it as you see fit, that the hearers would respond as you would have them to, Lord, that you would affect what you would have, that you would bring to light your truth, and that you would be honored and glorified in this time. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we pick up this story, David has departed from Jerusalem in anticipation of the arrival of his enemy son, Absalom. As a reminder about Absalom, Absalom murdered his older brother, Amnon, after Amnon had raped his sister, Tamar. After this murder, Absalom Absalom fled to his grandfather, the king of Geshur, and he remained there until Joab negotiated his return to Jerusalem. Upon returning to Jerusalem, Absalom stood at the gate, making himself judge over the people, hearing their disputes, and in this way stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Here he began his revolt against his father, the king. We begin our lesson, which covers 2 Samuel 16, 17, and 18 with David having departed from Jerusalem 
passing the summit of the Mount of Olives, crossing over the Jordan River to the city of Maenam, which incidentally is the city where Ishbosheth was made king over Israel. David is convinced by his men to remain in Maenam while they go out and battle Absalom and his men in the forest of Ephraim. So while David has made this trek from Jerusalem to Maenam, Absalom is making his trek from Hebron to Jerusalem. And in our text today, he enters into Jerusalem. And upon the advice of one of the counselors, he goes into his father's concubines, the 10 concubines who were left to keep the house. Upon taking the advice of another counselor, he goes out to battle David's men in the forest of Ephraim, where he dies and is buried. Our text today ends with David mourning the death of this enemy son, Absalom. There are three observations that I would like to highlight today as we go through the text. First, the trusting heart of a man. God has created man to trust. We have two men in particular in our text today, David and Absalom. And who they trust, David is trusting God, while Absalom trusts man. Before we get into 2 Samuel 16, I'd like to read for us Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is written by David as he is fleeing from Absalom. This will give us insight into David's heart. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Here we see David trusting God. Trusting God as his shield, his sustainer, his protector. David trusts God. He also acknowledges here the many foes that are coming against him. We know the obvious foes of Absalom and his rebel troops. There are other foes that were introduced, and here we meet one in the first verse of chapter 16, Ziba. We'll recall Ziba from chapter 9. He was a servant in the household of Saul and brought to David and as David inquired whether there was anyone that he could place the blessing of his covenant with Jonathan upon. So it was Ziba that introduced David to Mephibosheth. And it was David that placed the blessing of that covenant on Mephibosheth. And then Ziba was placed in the household of Mephibosheth. Ziba comes out here in our text today, coming bearing gifts, appearing to be friendly, blessing David. However, we will learn in chapter 19 that he was lying, cheating, misrepresenting Mephibosheth, his master, and ultimately taking advantage of David, who is in a vulnerable position. He did this for his own selfish gain. Ziba is not a friend. He is a foe of David's. 
Shimei, who we meet next, does not come out with any friendly gifts, but rather stones, hurling them at David and his men. It's not just stones, it's words as well. He comes accusing David of many things, including maligning his character, calling him a worthless man, placing him in the company, David in the company of people such as Nabal. Shimei also condemns David in 2 Samuel 16, 8. Shimei says, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. It is true, David is a man of blood. He carries the guilt of Uriah. Yet Shimei here is placing the blood guilt of the household of Saul, of Saul's blood, Jonathan's, Ishbosheth, which we know is not true. So he's accusing David and also proclaiming the outcome. This is what God has judged you, and the outcome is to give the kingdom to your son Absalom. What a discouraging place to be faced with lies. Yet David's response in 2 Samuel 16, 11, and 12 gives us insight again into David's heart and his trusting of God. David says, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. David has submitted himself to the sovereign God, the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God who renders just and right judgments. David trusts God. In contrast, Absalom enters into Jerusalem in pride, trusting in man. And there are two men in particular who are named as trusted advisors. Ahithophel, whose name means brother of folly. Ahithophel was David's counselor recruited by Absalom. He is also Bathsheba's grandfather. So I don't expect that that recruitment required a whole lot of convincing. Ahithophel, his advice is good, is wise, and it accomplishes that for which he intends. It could be said that Ahithophel is an excellent strategist. In fact, in 2 Samuel 16, 23, our text, it reads, the counsel of Ahithophel was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Now to be clear, Ahithophel is not a prophet, nor is he speaking the word of God. What the author intends here is for us to understand the excellency of his advice. It would be wise for Absalom to follow it. It's so good that David had to petition the Lord to defeat it. No matter how good your advice, however, or Ahithophel's advice, excuse me, we know that he's a fool. For when his advice isn't followed in chapter 17, he saddled his donkey, returned to his city, settled his household affairs, and hanged himself. Ahithophel trusted his own counsel and wisdom. There is no greater folly than to trust anyone or anything other than the Lord. Ahithophel, brother of folly. 
The second trusted counselor that's named is Hushai, Hushai the Archite. He is named as David's friend, who was sent by David on a covert operation. So in fact, Hushai is an enemy of Absalom. God uses Hushai to defeat the council of Ahithophel and bring harm upon Absalom. God often uses ordinary people, circumstances, and his creation to accomplish his purposes. Ahithophel, brother of folly, Hushai, enemy. These are the trusted men that Absalom has in his guard. Jeremiah 17, 5 to 10, gives us insight into the outcome that is for these trusting hearts, those who are trusting man and those who are trusting God. Let me read it for us. So Jeremiah 17, 5 to 10. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And it is the Lord who searches the heart and tests the mind to give every man according to his ways. David received the fruit of his ways. God promised this back in 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. When when Nathan confronted David, he had three promises, three outcomes, three fruit of David's way. First, the child that Bathsheba had would die. That happened. God's word was fulfilled. The second promise that the sword would never depart from David's house. Violence and death had come, and it was not going to leave. Just as we saw in the previous chapters with Amnon and Absalom, so we read here in 2 Samuel 16, 11, from David's own mouth, Behold, my own son seeks my life. Violence and death have come. The sword has arrived and is not going to depart. God's word is being fulfilled. The final promise that Nathan gave David was that God would raise up evil out of his own house. 2 Samuel 12, 11 and 12 says this. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel and before all the sun. 
2 Samuel 16, 22, our text today says, So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. God's word is fulfilled. Do you recall the last time that we were on the roof of the palace? It was chapter 11, as David went for that walk and looked out and lusted after Bathsheba. We're back where it all began. Think of the violence, sorrow, pain, and death that's come as a result of the conception of that sin. Sin is never a private affair. It often has ripple effects, if not tidal wave effects, particularly within a household. But God doesn't leave David he renders this discipline. And Psalm 94, 12 and 13 tells us a little bit more about God's loving discipline. It says, Behold, blessed, excuse me, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. Blessed is the man who is disciplined by the Lord. Do you recall back in Psalm 3, that psalm that David wrote in the midst of this time when he's fleeing Absalom, he, he said, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. There is rest in the sovereign hand of God, rest from trouble. And at the end of our text today, a literal pit will be dug and a wicked man thrown into it. God loves us and he disciplines us. He is faithful to his word of covenant promise as well in the midst of all of this. Recall with me back to 2 Samuel 7. God gave David many promises here. I want to highlight just a few. God promised to raise up an offspring and establish David's kingdom and house forever. God promises to bring this offspring from his body, to be to David's offspring like a father, and the offspring shall be to me like a son. God promises discipline and steadfast love to David's offspring. David's house and kingdom shall be made sure forever before God. So one of the questions we have with our text today is whether Absalom is that promised offspring. Culturally, it would be expected that the remaining firstborn would take the throne. And as we'll recall, the first, David's firstborn was Amnon, and he was murdered by Absalom. David's secondborn, Chiliab, most likely died young, leaving Absalom, the thirdborn, to take the throne. So in addition to the cultural expectation that he would, we'll recall how Absalom is described. He's handsome, his hair. He looks the part. Recall with me back in Saul. Saul looked the part. Absalom does too. So in these two ways, it might be expected that Absalom take the throne, but Absalom has sought to establish his throne through immorality, violence, trusting in man and his own strength. But David's house and kingdom will not be taken by force. God renders judgment on Absalom and preserves David's kingdom. 2 Samuel 17, 14 says, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. God ordained. He intended to bring judgment on Absalom. 
God used Hushai for this purpose. He often uses ordinary people for his purposes. 2 Samuel 18.8, so going on in our text, we'll recall this is the time when Absalom and his men are battling David's men. And 2 Samuel 18.8 says, The battle spread over the the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. God's own creation rendering judgment. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David while suspended from a great oak. The way this is described, Absalom happened to, it indicates it was not the result of some successful military operation, but rather God's providence. God intended for Absalom to be hanging there, to be met with harm. So God often uses ordinary people circumstances and his own creation to accomplish his purposes. The final observation we have for today is the father's heart for his son. David instructs his commanders in chapter 18, verse 5, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. This isn't really a surprise given what we know about David's heart for Absalom. Back in 13, when Absalom had murdered Amnon and fled, we know that that David mourned Absalom and longed to go out after him. David had a soft spot for Absalom. And then recall with me, as David is sitting in the gate of Manam, awaiting word for the battlefield, from the battlefield, and the messengers come with great news declaring God's deliverance for David, David has one question for each of the messengers, and in turn he asks them, is it well with the young man Absalom? David's sole concern and focus was for his son. So at this point, you might be wondering, as I am, if I missed something, what is it with Absalom? Who who is this Absalom? So let's just take a quick minute and remember who Absalom is, what we know of Absalom. Absalom vengefully murdered his older brother. He inspired and led a rebellion against his father, and he took his father's concubines. Ahimeaz, one of the messengers that came from the battlefield, called Absalom an enemy, a man who rose against the Lord, my king. The Cushite, the other messenger from the battlefield, delivers a similar message, calling Absalom an enemy of my Lord, and one who rose up against David for evil. Absalom was, in no uncertain terms, David's enemy. Absalom was deserving of death. God searches the heart and tests the minds and delivers to each man according to the fruit of his way. Recall with me what caught Absalom and what left him hanging. It was a tree that entangled Absalom and a mule that left him hanging there. Think of the cultural significance of that. What we know that a man that is hanged on a tree is cursed by God. Absalom was cursed by God. And that mule that left him, that mule was the ride of a prince. It represented his kingdom. So as it departed, so departed 
Absalom's kingdom. Absalom was not the promised offspring. Absalom was hanged on a tree, pierced for his transgressions, and buried in a pit covered by stones. He received the death and burial of an enemy of God. Yet David's grief over the death of his enemy son is on full display in the last verse of our text today. David cries out, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. So, we know with this repetition that is a Hebrew expression of intimacy. David is mourning deeply the the death of his son. David longed for mercy and salvation for his son. Mercy and salvation without justice. Joab will address this in the next chapter. But for now, I want us to see the deep care and concern that David has for his son. For ladies, we are like Absalom. We are enemies of God and deserving of death. Sin has separated us from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The just payment for sin is death. For the forgiveness of sins. God's heart, though, in the midst of all of this, is for rescue and salvation. God not only cried out, would that I had died instead of you, but he did in in fact die instead of us. God shed his own blood through the person of Jesus that we might not die, but that we might have life. John 3.16 tells us of God's great love that sent his own son, that Jesus, his son, would die rather than us. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus died the death of an enemy of God. He bore the curse that we deserved. He was pierced for our transgressions, hanged on a tree, and buried in a cave with a stone. But God, this is not the end of the story. Death could not hold him. Acts 2.24 tells us that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is good news for us today, for it is through Jesus's perfect life death, and resurrection, that we do not bear the curse and the wrath that is the fruit of our own way, but rather we have life. God has put away our sin that we might not die. Unlike David, who wanted mercy alone, God has given us both mercy and satisfied his justice. Ladies, if you do not know Jesus today, this is an opportunity for you in the quiet of your heart to search and to know him. He desires relationship with you and he has made a way. 
The free gift awaits you. So I would ask that you confess that you have trusted in yourself and in others and not in him. But you want him in your life. Now is the time to surrender to him and to accept the blessing that comes with trusting him. Ladies, if you know Jesus and have allowed desire to grow into sin, I would say search your heart. Be honest with God about what's there. And join David in praying, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Be encouraged, ladies. This work of salvation is God's from start to finish. God is faithful. Bow with me as I give you this benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it.